Welcome to Kevin Condor's podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of David, based on Kevin's best-selling book by the same title. It's available in paperback and e-back formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Finally, the ongoing impact of Kevin's ministry is only possible because of the generosity of friends and supporters like you. Why not consider making a donation today at kevinconnor.org forward slash donate. Thanks very much. Chapter 40, I'm picking up in verse 17. And it came to pass in the first month and the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was reared up and Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above upon it as the Lord commanded Moses. And he took and put the testimony into the ark and set the staves on the ark and put the mercy seat upon the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the covering and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick or the lampstand in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. And he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil, and he burnt sweet incense thereon as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of the burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there, uh, there to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation, when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. And now on the basis of a finished work, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not, not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now let's just take a very brief moment in the, uh, uh, to review what we've been sharing. In the last number of weeks we've been sharing together in a series entitled The Tabernacle of David. And we found together that uh, uh, God had in the Old Testament particularly three particular dwelling places and uh, we just put on the overhead again just to re remind us. As we see by the uh, diagram here, there was uh, the three most important mountains in Israel's history, Mount Gibeon or Mount Sinai, the original mountain, and then Mount Zion, and then Mount Moriah. And the reason that these mountains were so important, as we saw in our last several Sundays together, was that in each of these mountains there was a house, the house of the Lord. In Mount Sinai there was originally the tabernacle of Moses or the tabernacle of the Lord, 
Then years later, God gave to David a revelation in Mount Zion. And in Mount Zion, we had the tabernacle of David. And then later on, God gave to David further revelation. And he gave him the revelation of what is referred to as the Temple of Solomon. And this was in Mount Moriah. So Mount Gibeon or Mount uh, Sinai, the original mount. The tabernacle of Moses, God's house. Mount Zion, the tabernacle of David, which we're going to be uh, getting up to in due time. And then Mount Moriah, the Temple of Solomon. Each of these were God's house, Old Testament houses and structures and habitations. But then the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, said, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow to it. Now, last Sunday, in the brief time that we had together, we noticed in Romans chapter 2.20, and I'll just quote it, that Paul, in writing to the Jews, said that when God gave them the law, that in the law was the form of knowledge and truth. And we found together that the Greek thought that we have there is that in the external form. So in the external form of the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, the, the temple of Solomon, there was knowledge and truth. But when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he abolished the external form. But the knowledge and the truth that was in the external form remains because knowledge is eternal Truth is eternal. Can we say amen? But the tragedy was, as with church history, the only thing we learn from church history is we never learn from church history, is that the Jew carried on the external form, which we're going to be going through just in order to discover the knowledge and truth that was in the form. And so they carried on the external form, but they crucified the knowledge and truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, if you do have a pencil and paper, last Sunday I said there were five things which we're going to touch on very briefly here five things uh, in, in establishing a house. And here, first of all, we're going to look at God's house. And every one of you have in your uh, bulletin this morning a simple diagram of God's first house. And as I said, we're not going to appreciate the tabernacle of David unless we understand a little bit, at least of the tabernacle of Moses. We're not going to understand the temple of Solomon unless we understand the tabernacle of David and the tabernacle of Moses because the Temple of Solomon embodied both. So both of them were brought together. So we're beginning where God began, in uh, Mount Sinai at the Tabernacle of Moses. Now, if you have a pencil and paper, I'd like you to take these five things down just briefly because our whole service is going to be wrapped around these things. Uh, in building a house, like this uh, building here, this uh, material building, in building a house there are basically five major steps that are followed. And the same is true of God's house. Five major steps that are followed. Number one, the first thing in building a house. Now we're talking about the house of the Lord. We've been singing, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go up into the house of the Lord. Number one, the first thing we have is the pattern for the house or the blueprint. There must be a pattern. There must be a blueprint for the house. Every house is built by some man. But he that built all things is God. So when uh, Moses built the tabernacle of Moses, it was God's house, but God gave him a pattern and said, make everything according to the pattern. When David uh, pitched the tabernacle in Mount Zion, that was God's house, uh, housing the Ark of the Covenant, as later on we'll see. But he built it according to a pattern. When uh, Solomon built the temple there, he built it according to the pattern or the blueprint that was given to David. So everything must be according to the pattern that's showed in the mount. Now God has laid down in his word about his house. These are Old Testament houses, the material houses. The house that God is interested in today is his church. Amen. So number one, there must be a pattern. 
The second thing in building a house, the second stage is, number two, there must be the foundation of the house. Okay? The foundation of the house. His foundation is in the holy mountains. As we saw on previous Sunday, the wise man built his house upon a rock and had a foundation, proper foundation. And so in Mount Sinai, there was the foundation for the tabernacle of Moses, the silver sockets. In Mount Zion, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone. In Mount Moriah, there was a foundation. Each of these houses had a foundation. And if we're going to be a New Testament church and follow God's order of worship and everything that's involved, we must be upon a proper foundation. So number two, foundation of the house. Number three... Once you lay the foundation of the house, you start to build the house, and generally every house has a number of rooms. Well, this is God's house, and when God built his first house, or asked Moses to build it for him according to the pattern, there were particular rooms, and we'll just illustrate this very simply here. Here we have what is called the outer court. Now, in the passage we read in Leviticus 40, all the details are sort of summarized here as Moses puts everything in its proper place, okay? So first of all, the first place we come to is the outer court. Then the next place we come in God's house, God's tabernacle, is the holy place. And then the third place, which was uh, divided by a curtain, is called the holiest of all. Let's sew those three places together, beginning from God's viewpoint. Okay, what's the first place where God himself dwelt? The holiest of all. That was the throne room, the holy place, the most holy place, the holiest of all. The second place is the holy place. You have this in your diagram, the holy place. And we have certain things there. And then the surrounding this house was this uh, linen court curtain, or curtain court surrounding the place. And this place was called what? The outer court. Okay, the outer court. All right, so number three, we have the rooms of the house. Outer court, holy place, and most holy place, the holiest of all. And uh, so this was God's house. Uh, three rooms basically in it. All right, the fourth thing about building a house, after you build it according to the pattern, after you have the proper foundation laid, and now you've got the rooms built, what do you bring into the rooms? Furniture, all say it together. Furniture. So God told Moses, this is the type of furniture I want in my rooms. Okay? So in the outer court, we have two articles of furniture. And let's all verbalize it together. I'll say it, then you say it with me, because our whole thought, what we're going to be sharing this morning, is around this. Okay? We have what was called the altar of brass or a bronze altar. Let's all say altar of brass. Altar of brass or altar of bronze. Okay? That was the first article. And then the next article between the altar of bronze and the door of the holy place here was another article called the labor of brass, like a basin that was full of water. So let's say that, the labor of brass. Or the labor of brass or the labor of bronze. So two articles of furniture in the outer court. <coughs> then we come to the next room, and at this room here we have a door so we enter in through the door, and in this holy place, there were three articles of furniture. We see the little priest here. When the priest went in there, there were three articles of furniture. And over on this side, we have the article of furniture, and it was the only light in the place. The only light in the place, and it was called the golden candlestick or the golden lampstand. Let's all say that together. The golden candlestick or the golden lampstand. Right opposite that was another article of furniture, and this was the place where each week the priests would gather, and there was the cup of wine that was poured out, the cup, 
and there was the table of showbread or the bread that the priests ate once a week. We have the fulfillment in that this morning as we gather around the Lord's table, the bread and the cup. Every week there is the bread and the cup, and this was re re uh, referred to or called the table of showbread. Let's all say that together. The table of showbread. Okay, another article of furniture. And then just before the next curtain entrance here, there was one other, uh, other article of furniture, and that was called the altar of incense. And it's significant today that in a... Uh, a society that's lapsing into meditation and ESP and meditation cults and so forth, that they always seem to be involved in incense. Incense and nonsense, okay? But back here, it was incense, the altar of incense, and that was continually burning before the Lord, and the fragrance of it entered within this curtain into the next place. So let's all say the name of the article of furniture, the altar of incense, okay? Now we come through the final curtain here and we come into the most holy place or the holiest of all and we have one article of furniture there and that was called the Ark of the Covenant. God was a covenant-keeping God. He'd made a covenant with Israel. They were in covenant relationship with him. Same as you and I are a new covenant people. Not old covenant, but a new covenant people. We're in covenant relationship with him and covenant relationship with each other. Amen. And this is a covenant table, so this was called the Ark of the Covenant, like an oblong box. And in this oblong box, there were three other articles, the rod of Aaron that had budded, and there was a little pot of manna that they'd fed upon in the wilderness, and there was the Ten Commandments, the tables of the law, the contents of that box overlay with gold. Upon the top of it were two uh, winged uh, creatures referred to as cherubim, and right between the cherubim, when, uh, as we read in, in Exodus chapter 40, when the cloud came off Mount Sinai and the glory of God, it came and dwelt right between the cherubim and the bloodstained mercy seat. And when Aaron went in, God would communicate to him from out of the glory, speak to me from out thy glory, from off a bloodstained mercy seat. So God gave all that to Israel, and uh, as I've said before, some ministers say God gave that to Israel just to amuse them, just to give them something to do. No, we believe that God was shadowing forth something. Now for 1,500 years, it didn't matter whether it was the Tabernacle of Moses, Tabernacle of David, Temple of Solomon, God was teaching Israel, and this sort of became like a, a visual education, a flannel graph, uh, a videotape, we might say, and so as... As the Israelites, it didn't matter what tribe they belonged to, God was teaching them this. If you want to approach me in my presence here, this is the way of approach. All of them, it didn't matter whether they belonged to the tribe of Gad, like some people do today, or they belonged to the tribe of Reuben or Simeon or Judah or Benjamin or whatever tribe they belonged to. It didn't matter what tribe they belonged to. They all had to come one way. If they wanted to come and worship the Lord and come before his presence, God said, this is the way. So they had to come from whichever tribe they belonged to, the four corners of the camp, the four corners of the world, we might say, and say so they had to come to the mountain. They had to come to the court gate. And when they came in through the court gate, the first thing that struck them was this great altar of bronze where there was the body and blood of sacrificial victims. There was no use trying to sneak under the curtain and rush into God's presence there. God would have zapped them out. God said, no, you've got to go my way of approach. This is the way of approach to God and worship. Come in through the gate. Come by way of the blood and the altar. And then after that, you come to the laver here, the basin of water. Wash your hands. Wash your feet before you come to the table, before you come near the candlestick of the altar of incense. Clean hands, 
pure heart, clean feet. And then after they did that, they could come here as priests and then they could come to the table and they would have the table in the light of the golden candlestick. They could offer the incense. And then after that, they could enter within the curtain by the blood that was shed here, right into the very presence and the glory of God. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, as we've said, he rent the veil. We have no curtains now. We can come right into his presence. But how many know that God's way of approach is still the same spiritually? The external form is fulfilled and abolished. And we only go back to the external form. What we're doing here this morning is to discover the knowledge and the truth that is hidden in the external form. Now, let me just say this as I finish. Let's go over to one other scripture as I finish on our exhortation. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'd like you to turn to this. 1 Peter chapter 2. So we've mentioned the five steps we have in building a house. The pattern for the house, number one. The foundation for the house, number two. The rooms of the house, number three. The furniture of the house, number four. And number five now, we're coming to the occupant of the house. And that was the Lord himself and the priest could gather in the presence of the Lord. Now listen to what 1 Peter 2 says. And verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones, how many are lively stones here this morning? Not rolling stones, not dead stones, lively stones. Why are we lively stones? Because of verse 4. Because the living stone, Jesus Christ, lives in us. Amen? If it's in our heart, he makes us lively stones instead of dead stones, rolling stones. Very suitable name they had. Ye also as lively stones are built up, what sort of a house? Spiritual house, not a material house as it was back there. A spiritual house, what sort of a priesthood? Not an unholy priest, a holy priesthood to offer up what sort of sacrifices? Spiritual, not animal sacrifices back there, spiritual sacrifices here acceptable to, to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, it's contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, the last thing I want to leave with you before we continue now and, and just follow our worship right into the presence of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's really important that we lay hold of what I'm saying, saints, because I believe it will help us to understand and help us to worship more intelligently, intelligibly and intelligently when we gather Sunday by Sunday. Now, we're not going to externalize this form and do this every Sunday, but this is a special day just to help us uh, get these truths in our mind. Now, in the, in the New Testament, the New Testament writers had been years under the Old Covenant. And it didn't matter whether it was the tabernacle of Moses or David or the temple of Solomon, the temple of Herod in that time. The minds of Israel were just completely saturated with this, the brazen altar, the labor, the lampstand, the table, priesthood, ark of the covenant, glory of God, gates, way of approach. Their minds were saturated. And the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are written in that language. And here is the important thing I want to finish up here on my exhortation is this, that the New Testament writers use Old Covenant language to describe New Covenant realities. Let me say it again and let it sink in. I pray that the Holy Spirit will write it, write it deep in our heart. 
the New Covenant writers used Old Covenant language to describe New Covenant realities, but they pass everything through the cross. The cross is the key. How many understand what I'm saying? If the Holy Spirit can burn that sentence in your heart, it's going to help you so much. Let me say it again. The New Covenant writers use Old Covenant language because they've been under that for so, so long. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Come out. <coughs> or go down. <coughs> That's when we want to sing. <coughs> so the New Covenant writers use Old Covenant language to describe New Covenant realities but they pass everything through the cross. The cross is the key. So we look at the scripture we've got here. Lively stones. Where did he get that from? Oh, that's the Temple of Solomon, built of stones. A house. Oh, that's God's house, the Old Testament houses. Holy priesthood. Oh, where that come? Oh, that's Old Covenant language. Sacrifices. Oh, where'd they get that from? That's Old Covenant. That's Old Covenant language. But the New Covenant writers use Old Covenant language to describe New Covenant realities. And I, I trust this morning uh, that as we worship the Lord, you're going to realize that we as New Covenant believers, so many of our songs are Old Covenant language to describe New Covenant realities, but everything is passed through the cross. So as God's house, let's summarize. Thousands of our hymns and songs use Bible language from the tabernacle or temple or Old Covenant language clothing New Covenant truths so as the church, Waverly Christian Fellowship we're talking about here, we must be built according to God's pattern, his blueprint. This is God's blueprint, amen? We must have a proper foundation. We must have proper spiritual places, proper approach to God. We must follow God's furniture spiritually, and we want the presence and the glory of God to be in our midst as we approach God. Can we say amen? Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.